Great. Okay. So, so we're, uh, we're, we're in the middle of a series on wisdom, and we looked at did a week one, we looked at an uh, overview of wisdom, what is wisdom, just to try and get a bit of clarity on it before we get into details. And we discovered that the foundation of the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. So then we did a whole session on the fear of the Lord so that we lay a proper foundation. The reason being that the way the Bible often describes life and building, building a, a wise life is like a building. And so you're going to build a decent building, you've got to get the foundation right. So the foundation for a wise life is the fear of the Lord. We did a session on that. Then we looked at, then we started to build. We got a foundation laid. Let's start building now. We did a week on friendship. Then last week, Mother's Day, a week on parents. And now this week is sexual purity. We're going to be spending the whole morning looking at that. Um, as I've delved into it a bit, done some reading and just reflected on our culture, it's dawned on me what a massive issue this is. Because it's so huge for us as a culture in the sense that sex or the god of sex, eros if you like, the god of erotic love, is very much um, the object of worship by a lot of our culture. If we're going to really speak into the cultures of church, we've got to spend some decent time on it. So we're looking potentially at maybe like a six-week series on the whole thing later in the year, maybe looking at celibacy. Are you serious? Um, something like that. Um, maybe looking at the physical body, looking at uh, sexual addiction, as it's often known, various things overcoming that. How to be a great lover. Uh, look at Song of Songs one week. So we'll, just look, we'll cover the whole spectrum really later in the year, we hope. So today is a little bit more of a grape shot, but hopefully it will help to serve you as we look at this um, subject. You see, if you're going to route big idolatry, you've got to get a big God in place. And the, the worship of Eros is idolatry. It's your worship. We're worshiping something really that is actually of the created order, not the creator. You can't just remove an idol. You've got to replace it. If you remove it, you're just left with a vacuum. And we're made to worship. So you've got to remove something big with something huge. And the only thing that can replace idolatry of this magnitude or idolatry of any magnitude is the Creator. Expressed and revealed wonderfully in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. We're going to, uh, there will be some scriptures that come up on the um, screen today. If we look at the first one, Colossians 1, 17 to 19. It says this, if the technology will serve us. Looking pretty blank at the moment. No signs of life, no little white arrows flickering around. What are the thoughts, techie folk? Great. And he, that is Jesus, is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, he's the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In everything he might be preeminent. The big deal for your life and my life is this. Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian is this. Jesus has the preeminence. Now those of you that are astute at this point, and if you're not a Christian, you're thinking, but surely if Jesus becomes preeminent in my life, that's going to make me a Christian. Okay, yeah, well, fair enough. But... The big deal is not label whether you label yourself a Christian or not. It's that Jesus Christ is supreme. 
What I mean by that is this. Some people call themselves Christians, but they may well not be. They've been brought up as Christians, or they go to church a lot, but Jesus is not supreme in their heart, in their affections, in their thoughts. There'll be others that don't call themselves Christians. Why? Because many people have called themselves Christians and not lived a good life, so they don't like that label. But you know what? In their heart, Jesus is supreme. So it's not about what label you have. It's about Jesus having preeminence. The Bible says it's God's will that he has preeminence in all things. It's also important as Christians that we dig into this today because it's by no means a foregone conclusion if you are a genuine believer that in every area of your life Jesus is supreme. It is a battle. Make no mistake about it. It's a struggle, a huge, huge struggle in order for, to keep Jesus as supreme. There is a lot of enemies out there through many dangers, toils and snares I have already come. His grace has brought me safe this far. His grace will lead me home. We need grace. We need grace. We can be delivered from idolatry and then enslaved to it again. We can be delivered from certain idolatries and enslaved to the very same ones or brand new ones or the same ones in subtler different forms. We need God to have mercy on us and be gracious to us constantly. I'm going to do a lot of reading from different authors today, more than I would normally do, but that some of these uh, quotes are so fantastic, I could never even, you know, if I pretended they were mine, that would be wrong. And uh, I can never articulate myself like they do, so please bear with me. Listen to John Piper. My conviction is that the better you know the supremacy of Christ, the more sacred and satisfying and Christ-exalting your sexuality will be. I have a picture in my mind of the majesty of Christ like the sun at the centre of the solar system of your life. The massive sun, 333,000 times the mass of the earth, holds all the planets in orbit, even little Pluto, 3.6 billion miles away. So it is with the supremacy of Christ in your life, all the planets of your life, your sexuality and desires, your commitments and beliefs, your aspirations and dreams, your attitudes and convictions, your habits and disciplines, your solitude and relationships, your labour and leisure, your thinking and feeling, all the planets of your life are held in orbit by the greatness and gravity and blazing brightness of the supremacy of Jesus Christ at the centre of your life. If he ceases to be the bright, blazing, satisfying beauty at the centre of your life, the planets will fly into confusion a hundred things will be out of control and sooner or later they will crash into destruction there are many practical strategies for being sexually pure in mind and body I don't demean them, I use them but with all my heart I know and with the authority of scripture I know that the tiny spaceships of our moral strategies will be useless in nudging the planet of sexuality into orbit unless the sun of our solar system is the supremacy of Christ here's a quote for you I bet you're glad I read a quote today In order for Jesus to be supreme in our lives, we've got to get our thinking straight about Jesus. It's not enough to just have a Jesus who's nice, or a Jesus who's a good teacher, or a Jesus who's got a few things to say, and well, we'll we'll see what you say, Jesus, and we'll we'll, we'll read your teachings, and we'll we'll, we'll weigh it up, and we'll come to our own conclusion. Or a Jesus who's just a prophet. The Bible is clear. He is the exact representation of the nature of God. He is the radiance of the Father's glory. The Bible is very, very clear that all the uh, mysteries of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. He is the Amen. He is the first and the last. He is the Alpha and he is the Omega. It's all about Jesus. You must have a glorious Jesus in your heart. The Jesus of the Bible, not one you make up yourself. You must know him. The Jesus has revealed in scripture in order to be satisfied in your soul, in order to be weaned off of other idols. Without that, 
It is a foregone conclusion that you will fall into idolatry. There is no two ways about it. I know that from my own experience, let alone the authority of Scripture. Our deepest longings can be satisfied only in Him. Obsession with sex is a cheap substitution. So how do we respond? In a sex-obsessed culture, what should our response be? Do we just become a celibate people? Opposed to sex? Do we become a sex-free zone? Does our catchphrase become, no sex please, we're Christians? Well, listen to what Ben Patterson says, because I think this is very helpful. With all of this sexual obsession, one is tempted to downplay the pleasures and goodness of sex, to say they're overrated. But that might do the devil's will as much as the obsession itself. Pleasure is God's idea, and God is the devil's enemy. The devil actually hates pleasure because he hates the God of pleasure. In C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters, the devil's screw tape tries to explain to his nephew, the devil Wormwood, what he finds most appalling and disingenuous about God, that God is really out to make people happy, and that even the austere parts of his program, the spiritual disciplines, are really ruses, clever deceptions to make them more happy. This is what he says. He's a hedonist at heart, sniffs screw tape. All those fasts, visuals, stakes and crosses, only a facade. Only like a foam on the seashore. Out at sea, out in his sea, there's pleasure and more pleasure. He makes no secret of it. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. He's vulgar, Wormwood. He's got a bourgeois mind. He's filled the world with pleasures. Now you're thinking, why am I speaking in a gruff voice? Here's why. Because certain parts of this quote are the devil talking, certain parts not. So I'm trying to help you understand at what part the devil talks. It's the gruff bit, okay. The devil's grand strategy against pleasure is to twist it to get us to misuse it. Never forget. When we're dealing with any pleasure in its healthy and normal and satisfying form, we are, in a sense, on the enemy's, God's ground. I know we've won many a soul through pleasure. All the same, it's his invention, not ours. He made the pleasures. All of our research so far has not enabled us to produce one. All we can do is to encourage the humans to take the pleasures which our enemy God has produced at times or in ways or in degrees which is forbidden. Hence we always try to work away from the natural condition of any pleasure to that which is its least natural, least redolent of its maker, least pleasurable. An ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure is our formula. An ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure. Pleasure is good. Pleasure is from God. Listen to Psalm 16. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So by way of introduction I've said two things. Number one, in order for the various planets of our lives, including our sexuality and our sexual desires to be in order, they need to be orbiting around Jesus Christ. He is the one who is to be the sun of the solar system of our lives. Number two, far from Jesus keeping us from pleasure, he will enthrall us with the primary pleasure of his presence and he's happy to bless us with the secondary pleasures of his good creation as and when he lovingly sees fit and within the boundaries that he has widely set. Okay? Cleared the ground. All right. Now let's look at what sexual purity is, what Jesus says about the subject. So question number one, what is sexual purity? It's a condition whereby someone's heart, mind and body are entirely devoted to expressing their sexuality in such a way 
that Jesus Christ is more fully known and more fully revealed in his creation as a result. Let me read you a quote from a guy called Albert Moeller. We must consider the purpose for which God created the entire universe. That's the big question. Why are we here? Why is anything here? The entire cosmos was created for the glory of God. Thus, we must recognise every single question in terms of how God's glory will be most clearly manifested in his creation. What is sexual purity? It's a condition whereby one's heart, mind and body is entirely devoted to expressing their sexuality in such a way that Jesus Christ is more fully known and revealed in his creation as a result. That's sexual purity. I know you want details, We all do. Before you get the details, you need the big picture. Otherwise, you've really lost the fight before you even start. What we constantly need need is our head lifted up to understand the big deal, the big picture. We are made for the glory of God. Our lives are made to be intoxicated with him. Our lives are to be Christ-intoxicated. And if someone calls you a spiritual fanatic as a result, say thank you. Blessed are you when people insult you on behalf of my name. Blessed are you. I so they treated the prophets that were before you. It's cosmic, isn't it? Maybe a little bit hard to pin down. Okay, Steph, but what are you saying? Maybe it's easier to ask what is sexual impurity. That may help us. Anything that does not tally with the God who has revealed himself through the Bible. So, God has revealed himself in the Bible as the God who is sufficient. Hence the importance of knowing that nothing in all creation, including sex, can make you whole and that married and single people are alike. Their sufficiency is found in him and him alone and both categories, married and single, are as complete in Christ as the other. He's sufficient. So to look to sex for sufficiency, a sense of completion, whether it's in the guise of romance or whatever else, is sexual impurity. He's revealed himself as the God of covenant, hence the importance of lifelong radical commitment to and exclusive sexual expression with your marriage partner if you are married. He's revealed himself as the God of zeal, hence the importance of sexual passion and wholehearted sexual expression within that covenant of marriage. If you are indifferent or half-hearted as a married person in the expression of your sexual desire in your marriage, you are in sexual impurity and sin. He has revealed himself as the God of reality, hence the importance of either wholehearted sexual expression towards that person who is truly your spouse and no one who isn't really, or wholehearted mind, body and soul celibacy if the reality is that you're not married. He's revealed himself as the God who is light, hence the importance of renouncing all that is sexually dark. We'll look at that in a minute, what that is. He's revealed himself as the God of childlike innocence, hence the importance of childlike purity and simplicity. He's revealed himself as the God of creation, hence the permission to be as sexually creative as you please within the boundaries set by the creator, i.e. marriage. This means that immoral sexual fantasies, sexual innuendo, coarse joking, rape, voyeurism, flirting, being suggestive, dressing immodestly, pornography, extramarital sex, either by text by email, by touch, by letters, by words, self-display, homosexuality, bestiality, adultery, paedophilia, necrophilia, and anything else that either inflames lust in yourself or leads others to be inflamed by lust, 
or creates a fictional reality for you to run for cover and comfort into is sin. Okay. At this point, some of you might be saying, yes, 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 no, yes, no, no, yes, yes, no. At that point, I would ask you this question. By which standard are you gauging what I'm saying? The Bible or culture? As long as you can clearly articulate biblically why that is the case, fine. Let's look at fantasies for a moment. Surely the most harmless, in the sense that they don't actually involve someone else, if you know what I mean. I'll make clear what I mean by that. If I commit adultery, I actually involve someone else in the act of sin. Fantasy, different deal. It just all goes on in there. Now, with guys, it tends to be mostly a visual thing, although, interestingly, in a survey done recently in the USA, they discovered that 30% of internet pornography use was by women. Seems to be on the rise. Um, but women tend to be a bit more prone to, uh, to romantic lust. We'll look at that in just a moment. But let's look at the guys first and the girls, just quickly. So, guys... Um, when it gets to the point that your eyes immediately move to the more sexual areas of a woman's body, when you find yourselves unable, almost addicted to looking at women sexually, struggling to relate or consider them in a sisterly way, how can that be harmless? You are demeaning them in your heart. You are not getting to know them properly. You are gauging and scoring them by how they look or what they're wearing rather than how the Lord does, which is in their heart. Not only that, but you are trapped and enslaved by that. It becomes habitual. You find yourself doing it without even thinking. This is very, very harmful because it's, you're being squeezed into the pattern of the world rather than being renewed by the, transformed by the renewing of your mind. What about ladies? Listen to this. I found this very interesting. Men do graphic pornography. That's an obvious problem. Women do romance. Same kind of problem, though the participants keep their clothes on a while longer and there's more of a story to tell before they tumble into bed. Romance novels are female pornography. The sin comes wide through intimacy lust first and builds towards erotic lust. The formulaic fantasies offer narrative emotion candy, not visual eye candy. Romance tells a story about someone with a name, someone you fall in love with. It builds slowly. It's more than a moment of instant gratification with anonymous, naked, willing bodies. But like male pornography, there's a progression from softcore to openly erotic to frankly pornographic writings that target women. The male model Fabio made his career posing for formulaic book cover art. A big, strong guy, stripped to the waist, tenderly cradles a beautiful woman. He's a knight in shining armour. Protective, gentle, understanding, and the handsome hunk. The romantic novel genre has even made a crossover to evangelical Christian publishing houses. The sex is cleaned up. The knight in shining armour is also a deep spiritual leader who marries you before sleeping with you. But the fantasy appeal to intimacy and romance lusts remains as an inner engine that allures readers. Female versions of sexual romantic sin are shop floor rags as much as male versions. Jesus Christ calls, us, calls all of us out of fantasy, delusion and lust, whether the fantasy land is filled with naked bodies or with romantic knights. Jesus Christ is about the reality business. Francis of Assisi got things straight. Grant that I would not so much seek to be loved as to love. Jesus teaches us how to be committed, patient, kind, protective, able to make peace, keeping no record of wrongs, merciful, forgiving, generous, and all the other hard, wonderful characteristics of grace. He teaches us to consider the true interests of others. He teaches us a positive love and purity that protects the purity of others. Instead of our instinctual ways, narcissism, 
fascination with our own desires and opinions, self-indulgence, Jesus Christ takes us by the hand to lead us in ways that make Vivla difference shine brightly. Anything that moves us away from contentment in and with Christ, anything that stirs up longing that leads away from peace and reality are enemies to our soul. Look at 1 Peter. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, that's travellers and exiles, those who don't really belong here, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. It's military talk. Now the question we've got to ask is, is lust really that bad? Final quote. (laughs) I think you'll like this. On July the 20th, 1993, Donald Wyman was clearing land near somewhere, Pennsylvania, as part of his work for a mining company. In the process, a tree rolled onto his shin, causing a severe break and pinning Wyman to the ground. He cried for help for an hour, but no one came. He concluded that the only way to save his life would be to cut off his leg. So he made a tourniquet tourniquet out of his shoestring and tightened it with a wrench. Then he took his pocket knife and cut through the skin, muscle and bone, just below the knee and freed himself from the tree. He crawled 30 yards to a bulldozer, drove a quarter mile to his truck, then manoeuvred the standard transmission with his good leg and a hand until he reached the farmer's house one and a half miles away with his leg bleeding profusely. Farmer John Huber Jr. helped him get to a hospital where his life was spared. Jesus knew that humans love to live. So he appealed to this passion in order to show the importance of purity. Just as Donald Wyman cut off his leg to save his life, Jesus commanded that we gouge out our eye to escape the fatal effect of lust. Quote in Jesus, Everyone who looks on a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her in his heart. And if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it's better for you that one of the parts of your body perish than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now, of course, if you gouge out your right eye, as Jesus says, you can still see the magazine with your left eye. So Jesus must have something even more radical in mind than literal mutilation. A few years ago, I spoke to a high school student body on how to fight lust. One of my points was called, ponder the eternal danger of lust. I quoted the words of Jesus, that it's better to go to heaven with one eye than to hell with two. And said to the students that their eternal destiny was at stake in what they did with their eyes and with the thoughts of their imagination. I tried to counteract the prevalent notion that personal sexual morality, including the life of the mind, is of minor moral significance. Idealistic students and adults often think that what they do with their bodies and their minds on a personal level is no big deal. If it's sin at all, it's sin with a little s. Shouldn't we just get on with the big issues like international peace and global environmental strategies and racial reconciliation and social justice and healthcare initiatives and the elimination of violence? Sleeping around is simply no big deal. If you're on the picket line for justice and flipping through Playboy, utterly significant if you're on your way to peace talks in Geneva. I stress that Jesus sees things very differently. Those global issues are important, but the reason they are is because they all have to do with people. Not just statistical aggregates, but real individual people. And the most important thing about people is that unlike animals and trees, they live forever in heaven glorifying God or in hell defying God. People are not important because they breathe. They're important because they have the capacity to honour God with their hearts and minds and bodies long after they stop breathing. Forever. What Jesus is saying, therefore, is that the consequences of lust are going to be worse than the consequences of war or environmental catastrophe. The ultimate scourge of war is that it can kill the body. But Jesus said, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more they can do. I'll warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. In other words, God's final judgment is much more fearful than earthly annihilation. After my message in the high school auditorium, one of the students came up to me and asked, are you saying, then, that a person can lose his salvation? 
In other words, if Jesus used the threat of hell to warn about the seriousness of lust, does that mean a Christian can perish? This is exactly the same response I got a few years ago when I confronted a man about the adultery he was living in. I tried to understand his situation and I pled with him to return to his wife. Then I said, you know, Jesus says if you don't fight the sin, this sin with the kind of seriousness that is willing to gouge out your own eye, you will go to hell and suffer there forever. As a professing Christian, he looked at me in utter disbelief as though he had never heard anything like that in his life. And he said, you mean you think a person can lose his salvation? So I've learned again and again, and from first-hand experience, there are many professing Christians who have a view of salvation that disconnects it from real life, and that nullifies the threats of the Bible, and puts the sinning person who claims to be a Christian beyond the reach of biblical warnings. I believe this view of the Christian life is comforting thousands who are on the broad way that leads to destruction. Jesus said, if you don't fight lust, you won't go to heaven. Not that saints always succeed. The issue is that we resolve to fight not that we succeed flawlessly. Interesting. I thought we might be a bit quiet. Let's just look at that Jesus. It's all about Jesus. What does Jesus say? Let's look at Matthew 5. Let's look again. You've heard it said you should not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Now at this point, some of you might be thinking, you are outrageous. Especially maybe you're not a believer, you're not familiar with this kind of thing. You're thinking, what on earth? How on earth can you say this? Why is what I'm saying so provocative and so potentially infuriating, either to you or to someone you know? Two reasons. Number one. Through this teaching, we are challenging two. Uh, one of the, well, okay. Through the teaching, we're challenging two of the nation's most celebrated idols. The first one is this, like I said earlier, erotic love. Eros has been promoted to the highest of heights in our culture, exalted, honoured, esteemed, and pursued, worshipped fervently by every magazine rack, bus side, and pop song. I am challenging. That idol, that idol. I'm saying that idol is a false god. It will lead you not into freedom, but captivity. All that it promises, it cannot deliver. That's exactly what I'm saying. It's a lie. The second idol that I'm challenging is perhaps even deeper, and it's what we call the right of individual choice. I.e., who is anyone, the preacher, the Bible, God, to say what I can or cannot do in the privacy of my own home or anywhere I please? Now let me just be clear, if that is your attitude, you are not doing away with God, you're simply saying that you are God. Because God is the one who has the final authority, the final say, and you're saying that you have that. Listen to what Satan whispered to Eve in the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3. Can we have the slide up? Serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. There it is. If the way you live is that you have the final say, your own inner moral compass is the determining factor, not scripture, you are someone who has fallen for Satan's lie. You want to be just like God. And it can happen in blatant ways or subtle ways. I am no one. Who am I? No one. But I claim to speak what the Bible says. Well, who's the Bible? What's the Bible? Well, the Bible, the Bible claims to be the word of God. Well, who's God? 
is the creator of all. He owns everything and he has the final say. That's a pretty uh, countercultural thing to say. He understands you better than you understand yourself. And he fervently challenges this attitude which says that we have the final say. That's the heart of the problem. It's not, a, it's not an attitude to be adopted and admired. Oh yeah, I have the final say. It's an attitude to be repented of and forsaken. Because it kills us. So what do we do? If you're a Christian here and you are struggling with sexual sin. We, well, we all are. If you're a Christian here and you've stopped struggling. That's the problem. Yeah? You've just gone, ah, oh, blah. Or you are still struggling, but you feel like you are losing. What do you do? If you're not a Christian here, but you think, you know what, what this guy's saying makes sense, come on, I, I would love a way through. What's the solution? Number one, turn. Turn. Change. Repent. Have a change of thinking. In Matthew and Mark's Gospel, the first words of Jesus are, repent. For the kingdom's coming. It's not just what you do when you're someone who's not a Christian becoming a Christian. It's what Christian. It's how Christians live. You live a lifestyle of repentance, change constantly. Oh, you've got to think right about that. Oh, yeah, mind being renewed. It's a lifestyle of repentance. In the letters to the churches in Revelation, seven letters, five of them to five of those churches, Jesus says, "Repent to Christians, to believers." It's our lifestyle. It's a turning away and a turning towards. It's about. I want to ask you, what direction are you facing? Listen to John 3. It's very challenging. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Do you love the darkness? You know what? There is something in all of us that does. There is something in all of us that indwelling sin. We love the dark. We love the secretive. We love the alluring sense of, oh, we're not allowed to do that. I better try and do it. That is indwelling sin. Come to the light. I want to urge you and plead with you, come to Jesus. Come to the light. I want to ask you, what direction are you facing? Christian, you must say, my progress is so slow in this area. I've been a slave for years. I've never told anyone. Or whatever. I just want to ask you, not whether you are running victoriously, what direction are you facing? Sanctification, more than about necessarily speedy victory, is about direction. Are you facing him? Are you moving away from that and towards Jesus? Or are you moving in the other direction? That's all I want to ask you. What direction are you facing today? Sanctification is about direction. The kingdom is about direction. Are you walking into the light of Jesus? Maybe you say, no, I am crawling into the light of Jesus. Okay. Keep doing it. Or actually, have you come under discouragement? Or you know what? You're just gripped by lust. Just gripped by it. And the internet... Yes, you actually, you would, hand on heart, you say, I can't stop. And we want to help you. Jesus, Jesus wants to help you. But you would have got to that point through a process, so there's a process out. Really? Yes. Can it really be? Yes, it can. How? By Jesus' victory. When, on the, when the Bible says that he, he disarmed the demons on the cross. That means he disarmed those who tempt and deceive. When the Bible says that he beat sin at the cross, 
It means that power in you that wants what is not allowed, that wants what is dark, that wants what is perverse, can be destroyed through knowing Jesus. Maybe not all in one go, but there's an ever-increasing victory through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the cross of Christ. Powerful. I mean, there's no point singing about it, folks, if we're not going to apply it. Right? Otherwise, we get into deception, don't we? And we come along, we sing the songs, and we go home, and it's totally different. And in the end, you think, you know what? I can't be bothered going there anymore. It doesn't work. Get excited in the moment, but during the rest of the week, it doesn't work. Come on, this gospel works. This gospel works. I want to help you by the second point. So we turn, we're facing the light. All right? Just turn. Even now, turn in your heart. <laughs> you might think, I'm being sucked into the darkness. Okay, stop. Turn. Number two, walk. Ephesians 2. You were dead. This is before. If, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, this applies to what you were before and what you are now. If you're not yet a Christian, then the first description, we're talking in the past tense, is talking about where you're at now. And where Paul uses the present tense there, he'd be talking about the future tense when you become a Christian. Okay? And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. To follow the world is to follow Satan. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, the fantasies, the things we long for. And were by nature children of wrath, under God's wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we was dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved, through faith, it's not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. We used to walk in the lusts of our body and mind, and we were entrapped and enslaved to it. Okay, then we got born again. And let me just clarify this. If you got born again, that is not something you did. Okay? You might say, well, I made a decision for Jesus. Yes. But ultimately, if you are born again, that is not something you did. It's something he did to you. It's the work of God. You did not take out your heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. He did. He made you a brand new creation in Christ. He worked a miracle in you, miracle of miracles, and he's raised you up and he has seated you with Christ. You might say, but I, I, believe, and I believe that, but you know, I, I am the, the, the things I'm thinking and I'm into when no one's around. Okay, you are simply not living out who you really are, and that's the problem. That's the problem. What is the Christian life? It's living out who God has made you in Christ. It's not trying to be something, trying to become something. It's coming into line with, what does God say about me? Who am I in Jesus? I am a child of God. I am seated with him in the heavenly places. God has got a whole array of good works for me to walk in. So it's not just that I'm going to stop walking that, not do that, don't do that. I'm going to fill my life and my time with these good things that God has for me. It's the gospel, folks. Now, you might at this point saying, you make it sound so easy. It is not easy. I want to just stop here for a minute or two. Sometimes you're pastoring people, 
And they go, you give them some advice, and they go, oh. And you go, what's the matter? Goes, what have I said? What have I done? And they say, that's going to be so hard. And I'll go, yeah. And what I realise is I'm being met with an expectation of the Christian life that is that it will be easy. No. It ain't. And don't believe anyone who tells you. But my yoke is easy. Yeah, there's an ease about walking with them and a grace, absolutely. But it is an immense struggle and a battle against indwelling sin, against the seductions of the world, against Satan himself. It's a huge battle. You've got to get your expectations right. Battleground, not playground. It's just the way it is. So you've got the, the, the Puritans talked about mortifying the flesh. Paul talks about crucifying the flesh. Violent talk. Really? Do we do this? We are to do this. Yes. We are to do this. How do we do it? Violently. That's all I know. Can't have any great techniques. Okay? Violently. You learn to hate sin. Give it an inch, it will take a mile. In the evening service the other week, I made mention of the fact that I go to uh, a gym uh, once, twice a week and the, the, the jogging machines, but of course the problem is the TV screens because one of them is always devoted to, uh, well, it's kind of, I think it's called something like, I don't know, what's called something like nation's top hits or something, but it's basically pornography to music. And, um, and it, it is it's an immense battle because I'm there and, and, and I've got Alan Titchmarch there. I'm not gonna, he's not going to make me stumble. Right. <laughs> I've got that fella from, fella from Deal or No Deal there. He's all right. You know, he's, 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 he's okay. That's not going to be a big problem. And then I've got old Lucy Lust Lips over there doing her thing, wiggling around. And I'm like, that is going to cause me problems. And what I find is, is that as I'm jogging, and I'm doing the visual thing just to help you, but just to help it, it's like so I'm jogging, <laughs> and then things happen in my mind like this. I'll just check whether that song's finished or not now, that video. Yeah? What, what's going on there? Well, you see, it's because we're rational creatures, we try and justify what we do. Okay? Otherwise, we can't defend it. We've got to defend it because we we'll have to defend ourselves. Everyone starts fidgeting. So I'll just check. And then I, sometimes I do check and then regret it instantly. Other times I'm just about to, and then by God's grace, I realize what I'm doing. And I pull the thing in. And then I look down and I think, do you know what? I'm not even going to look at Alan Titchmarsh or that geezer with the funny hair. <laughs> Don't know what his name is. Deal or no deal. I'm not going to look at him. Not because they're going to cause me a problem, because I certainly won't. But because as I'm looking at Alan Titchmarcy's checkered grey shirt, in the far reaches of my eye, I'm aware of old, whatever her name is, his, you know, red rubber suit or whatever she's wearing, you know, and I'm aware of it. And so I think, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to spend the rest of my jogging time looking at the seconds clock going up. Really exciting, really stimulating. But I'm going to do it. Why? Because that stuff will kill my soul. That stuff will kill my marriage. That stuff will destroy me. And it will destroy you. And if you do not learn to hate it, it hates you 
It is satanic and it will kill you. And you give that any room at all, here's what happens. I didn't have MTV in these days, but it's a similar thing. You'll get it. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you're my sister. Call insight, your intimate friend. To keep you from the forbidden woman. Woman, Women, turn it around for the forbidden guy. The man who's talking to his son, so it's about women. But please just switch it around for you women here. From the adulteress with her smooth words. For at the window of my house, I've looked out through the lattice and I've seen among the simple, I've perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense. Maybe that's one of you here. You're a young man lacking sense. You're foolish in this area. Look, look, look at what he does. Passing along the street near her corner. Do you know what? It's all over. At this point, it's all over. Why? Because he knows she's there, this forbidden woman, and he passes by her way. He, he puts himself in the proximity, in the vicinity. At this point, it's all over. It's finished. Why? Because internally, he's given it an inch. Listen to what happens. Taking the road to her house, in the twilight, in the evening, no one, no one you know, undercover, at the time of night and darkness, and behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute. She knows what he likes. Wily of heart. She's loud and wayward. Her feet don't stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him. Fulfilling all of his desires for an aggressive sexual encounter. Bold face, she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices. She even makes that she's religious. Today I've paid my vows. She couches it all in God talk. Now I've come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I've found you. Makes him feel you're the one for me. Spread my couch with coverings, coloured linens from Egyptian linen, perfume my bed with myrrh, aloes and cinnamon. Come on, let's take our fill of love till morning. It's going to be amazing. We're going to make love all night. Let's delight ourselves with love, for my husband's not at home. See, she's stolen bread. She's someone else's goods. He's gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. Full moon, he'll come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter. Or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. Or as a bird rushes into a snare. He does not know it will cost him his life. And now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths, for many a victim she has laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. Proverbs 7. Final point, run. Turn towards the light. You walk in the good works that God has prepared for you. And when those moments come, Temptation is there, you run and you run like the wind. 1 Corinthians 6. Flee. Do you know what the Greek word for flee is there? Do you know what it means? It means flee. From sexual immorality. Every other sin that a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. But do you not know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you and you have from God? You're not your own. You're not your own. Christian, you're not your own. You're bought with a price. 
So glorify God in your body. Remove yourself from anything that will drag you into the list I read earlier and be quick about it. Guard up, watchful, your soul is at stake. Now the beauty of it is this, if you run away from that, and it could look like, it could, that, running away could be anything, you've got to know yourself, it could be anything from cancelling the gym membership to resolving to look at that clock. But it's an it's a act of, I'm going to flee it. But as you flee it, you find yourself running in another direction, which is towards Jesus. So it's not just I've got to get away from this, it's I've got to get to him. Look at this other verse, 2 Timothy 2.22. Flee youthful passions and pursue. So I'm being chased, like Scooby-Doo, right? I'm being chased like someone, but I'm chasing something else, all right? So imagine yourself like that. I've got to get there. I've got to get back to the guys, you know, the pretty girl and the hunk. I've got to get back, get back to them. Well, no, bad, wrong use of imagery because we're talking about it. Okay, no. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, you know what I mean. So I've got to get to that, which is truly beautiful, and away from this, which is ugly and wants to kill me. Flee and pursue righteousness, faith and love and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Now, here's the problem, you see. When you meet Christians that are passive, they're in a vacuum, they are not caught up with what God is doing. They're just trying to be Christians, but kind of, you know, there's no sense that I'm caught up in what God is doing. I'm caught up in the mission of the local church. I'm caught up in apostolic vision. This is where we're going. There's nothing to pursue. They're not being caught up on something. And what happens is, in the end, is that, is that because of this, just this inertia, they get caught. They've got, they, they, there's no real passion and motivation to run away because there's nothing to run to, nothing to run with. They're just trying to be good Christians. God has got a purpose for your life. And as you pursue him for that, for the more of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit, for fruit, for, for, you know, for, for the things he's spoken over you to, to come into, as you pursue him for those things, you'll find yourself running away. You'll find yourself fleeing. Let me just conclude now. What's the problem? You are. Okay? You are the problem. And me. We are. Jesus puts it like this, Mark 7. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For within, from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. You can't blame the video. You can, as much as you might hate the video, you can't blame it. You can't blame the internet. It's you. It's the lusts with it. It's your indwelling sin. You're the problem. What's the solution? Jesus. <laughs> Someone else called Jesus. Not just religion. Not just, you know, it's, it's about Jesus. Unless there is a passion and a love for Jesus, there will not be a hatred for sin. And unless there's hatred for sin, there won't be a passion for Jesus. It's all or nothing, folks. It's all or nothing. All or nothing is the safest ground you can live on, even though it looks a bit radical. Let Jesus be the son of your solar system. You might say, well, will he do what's promised? If I really do, if I really go for him, will I, will I really be able to walk free from those things? Well, if, if the Bible says yes. The Bible speaks about victory over sin. It doesn't speak about some kind of, kind of perfect triumph where you never stumble. We all stumble in many ways. But it talks about a direction and moving away from the darkness and towards the light. It talks about ever increasing degrees of glory and becoming more and more like Jesus. That's the promise as we behold him, as we look to him. 
And Satan will try and discourage you and get you down and accuse you and say this, that, and the other. I tell you, that's what the Bible, the Bible promises, that as we look to him and fix our eyes on him, and don't look to the right or to the left, and we don't turn back after we put our hand to the plow, but we say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, that we will bear fruit and we will come under attack and we will take blows and at times we'll be on the ropes and sometimes we'll think, when's it going to stop? And at just the moment when we think we can't do anymore, it will stop by the glory of God and by the power of the Spirit, we will land the biggest blow on the devil's head and we'll walk forward and we'll take some more ground. Then we hold on to that ground and it comes again back and we go again, okay? And, and it's real and it's like that and it's gritty and it's gutsy, but there's victory in Christ. There is victory in Christ. And we're going to end with this, Ephesians Chapter 5, verses 1 to 8, to encourage us. Therefore, be imitators of God. Copy him. He is radical. He is all out for his glory. Copy that. As beloved children, which is what you are, he loves you dearly and wants what's best for you. Walk in love, not lust. Lust takes, love gives. Okay? That's how you know. Lust takes, love gives. Walk in love as Christ loved us. You've got the perfect model. And gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, who is covetous, is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words and tell you otherwise. Okay? For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers, partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Be who you are. Hallelujah. Why don't we just speak before God? Just draw near to God in your heart. Maybe some of you here, you know, you don't know the Lord Jesus. You're just probably shell-shocked. You think, what? You know, what's going on? What's going on is this, is that the one who created us and loves us has got such a radically different way of life that he wants to empower, empower us for than what we see around us from day to day. And through the cross of his son, Jesus, you can be forgiven for every sin you've committed, even sinful thoughts and cleansed. There is such cleansing at the cross, always. If we confess our sins, if we come clean, if we acknowledge we need forgiveness, he is faithful and he's just. To forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, as I'm just here, the Holy Spirit's just revealing some things. I feel like the Holy Spirit's showing me that some of you here it feels a bit like you are part of the church, but for whatever reason, you've not developed sufficiently strong enough relationships in the church to, to be able to confess and get help from brothers or sisters in the Lord. James says, confess your sins to one another and be healed. It doesn't mean we just go around telling everyone, that we, but we find those that we trust and that we love and that love us, that we're able to just share with, and there's a healing that comes in that, in the body. And it's just an exhortation on you today in God to put some effort and work 
and find help from God in building relationships so that you might be able to really um, find healing. It could be that someone sinned against you sexually and you're living with that. It's not necessarily something you've done, but what's been done against you. And there's cleansing. You know, the beauty of the cross is it's not, it deals with all sin, not just sins we do, but those sins done against us. It's cleansing as well as forgiveness. Father, we just want to be before you. Thank you that you are light and in you there is no darkness at all. And uh, we don't want to compromise your light and kind of play it down to make us feel better about ourselves. But thank you we can be justified because we're in Christ. And your holiness is not compromised in that. That, uh, that from the moment that we come to Jesus, you, you, you envelop us in him. And that sin which clings to us so quickly, we thank you, goes on the cross, goes on him. He became sin for us and that his righteousness comes to us as a gift. So even those of us, Lord, that are aware of areas of our lives, we still, not as we would like, we thank you we can be accepted in your presence because we're justified in Christ. And as we come into your presence now, not because we've had a good or bad week or nothing of the sort, but because we're in Jesus, Amen. we thank you you accept us. And we thank you we can work with you through these things from a place of acceptance and justification and adoption. We haven't got to overcome them, then we can be accepted by you. We thank you in Jesus we get accepted. Hallelujah. And I want to just pray for an outpouring of a sense of real uh, grace by the Holy Spirit. People's hearts and minds now, Lord God. I pray for that, Lord. I pray for that. We pray against satanic lies. Some of you at the moment are really coming under this thing of no one else has got this. This is me. Why hasn't anyone else got this? You know, I bet Steph doesn't have this. It's lies. It's lies. We are all exactly the same and struggle with the same kinds of things, but in different variations, okay? And you're among, you're among brothers and sisters who love you, who love you. We all know varying degrees of victory in different areas, but ultimately we're all the same. Hallelujah. Can help one another. So we just break that lie in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We pray that Satan would not come in and hold people in captivity through discouragement and through unbelief and just thinking, well, that's it. No, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name for a sense in the heart, a real revelation given by the Spirit of, 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 of acceptance in Christ and of faith for ever-increasing glory and ever-increasing sanctification in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. What time is it? Gosh, man, I like <laughs> I've preached for a long time. I thought I might do that. Um, okay. I'm trying to think of the best thing to do here, so just bear with me because I don't really know at this point. Um, I love you too, Beth. No, <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Um, Davina's just feeling like um, there's like an incredible revelation of grace God wants to bring today. Um, and the image she's using is that actually, basically, what she does at the moment, she just can I? Yeah. What she does at the moment at home is that she just lies there. And uh, someone, I'm not saying who, because you know I might fall into pride, but someone looks after her the whole time. I was leaving the church and looking after the kids, but you know, let's not talk about that. Uh, she's, she's, uh, so she does nothing. Nothing. <laughs> but she's under incredible favour, so she describes it, and just getting real looked after. And the thing is, is that when you fall into sexual sin, what happens is very often you will get injured bad as well. 
you harm yourself through the sin and you kind of, you need, there's a healing as well as a forgiveness. And God wants to just bring his grace, lavish you with his grace. Now, grace isn't the same as license. License means anything goes. Grace means because I love you so much, I want to give you all that you need freely. Yeah? So that you can be healed and mended and energized for my glory. That's grace. God wants to be a revelation of that, people's hearts today. Um, I guess the issue is perhaps more to do with how he wants to bring that, whether the best response would be to just gather in song or in terms of time-wise. I don't know if we can quite do that. Um, I think probably the best thing to do, I'm going to make an executive decision here. I want to do just five minutes of Q&A. I know there will be some questions that just wouldn't be asked in this setting, of course, it's fine. But some will be appropriate and helpful, may help clarify some things. And then we're probably going to just end with one gospel-centered hymn. Is that okay? With bread and wine. And just to fix our eyes, you know, corporately on the victory of Christ and what that means for us who are caught up in that. Is that okay? So any, uh, any questions on this subject that people would like to ask? I've got this friend. <laughs> no. Sorry. Sure, there's about a hundred, but people are thinking this maybe isn't the same. It's fine if not, it's cool. There's a massive responsibility. I spoke about the struggle, yeah. the crucifixion of the flesh. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's not, just, it's not just to hand it over to Jesus. It's what does it look like to give it to Jesus? Yeah. Okay? It looks like drawing near to Jesus, pulling gracious and free resources from him, you know, meditating on the scripture. Truth sets us free. Yeah? Saying no to ungodliness by his grace and yes to godliness. It, it is very active, very proactive, very vigorous. And as soon as you step off that, it's like I say, whenever someone comes to me and says, Steph, I'm really struggling with lust, I say, great, no problem, it's cool. I am too. Let's struggle together. It's when people stop the struggle that the concern begins. It's kind of like, do you know what? It's like, no, come on. So absolutely, I, I wouldn't take it to come to Jesus and get in grace by any means. If you, if you interpret that as passivity, then maybe we need to just think through grace a bit more. It's, there's a, there is all of heaven's resources in Christ available to you. Come and get them. Yeah? So there's something to be done. Yeah, I hope that helps. The question was, I think in a nutshell, I didn't quite say how we link with Genesis 3, if that's okay, so I won't, because I won't understand it if I say it. But I think basically is it, making sure that I'm not preaching um, that to come to Jesus means really that we, don't have to, we haven't got to do anything. There's no responsibility that we have to take for ourselves. There absolutely is. You are the only person responsible for you. You know, you, I, can't, I can't blame what MTV put on. For my lack of holiness. Now I can get angry at it, and I do, but I can't blame it. 
If I watch it, then I get sucked in. <laughs> I do know what you're saying. I think it's just, uh, yeah, no, no uh, films, dodgy scenes come on, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's definitely my experience of different, di- Christians approach these things very differently. <laughs> You've got some houses, it's all PGs and U's and Wizard of Oz, do you know what I mean? You've got other houses and you're like, man, alive! You know, uh, it's just, in, and you, you, there's no, you, the moment you start bringing legislation that is extra biblical, you're creating legalism in the church. So you can't say this film, you can't watch this film, you can't watch. You can't do that. But you can, you can look at radical statements like Ephesians 5. Can we have that up again, please, Sarah? Uh, no, sorry, if, yes, Ephesians 5. The last one, I think that is. Just to help us with biblical criteria to help us make those decisions. Okay. Um, sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. Okay? No filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking, which are out of place, instead thanksgiving. Um, so that's an interesting criteria by which you make your decision, isn't it? I think there needs to be a radical sense on that. I would definitely say that um, it can slip into voyeurism. It can slip into, which is when you watch someone else, you get, a, you, you get off by watching someone else committing some kind of sex act. Films that have scenes in that are that are sexual and stuff, it can't just be, be a voyeurism, really. You can say, yeah, but it's an important part of the film, I had to watch it. I understand. All I'm saying is, I, I think it does cross the line at some point and become, actually, you're being titillated by watching two people, um, you know, copulate. Now, I know, see, now, immediately there'll probably be ten defences in the room because that's what we do. <laughs> we defend ourselves. Okay, I'm starting to process it. Well, they're acting, you know. Well, they are in porn films. You've got to think it through. I'm going to encourage you to think it through and to be radical. I'm not going to give you a load of, load of lists and laws because the apostles don't do that. They say, listen to the Spirit. Don't transgress your conscience. But don't judge other believers. If this person can watch this, you know, then obviously, you know, you need to draw a line, but where do you draw the line? I need to give that some thought. Yeah, you don't want to become Pharisaic about it, do you? No, of course, you want, to, you want to avoid that kind of Pharisaic kind of deal, but at the same time, I think, have a, you know, have a, have a radical hatred for sin. I think just develop that, really. Yeah, anything else? Susie. Very good question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it okay to have desires and yearnings? Of course it is. Contentment is when you, lack of contentment is when you lose your peace. Okay? So godliness with contentment is a mean of, means a great gain. Okay? So there's a sense in which a natural desire for some, some have the gift of celibacy. The last thing they want to do is get married. They just want to serve God single and devoted. That is glorious. That is glorious. Okay? So let's honour and esteem that. 
Others think, do you know what? That's my. That's my. That's like be like a living nightmare. I really just want to get married. That's fine. It's a godly desire for a husband or for a wife. That is fine. But when you lose your peace over that, then you slipped out of contentment. And at that point, I would say that you are in lust of some kind, in the sense of a desire, a strength of desire that moves you away from your place of peace in God. Is that okay? What are the limits for dating couples? Well, here's the thing. The Bible doesn't say, does it? So all the Bible gives us is treat younger women with si- as sisters with all purity. So, guys, you treat girls as sisters. Their body is not yours until you're married. So just imagine the dad's in the room the whole time. <laughs> I'm not even joking. I'm not even joking. Sisters. That's the biblical criteria. Now you've got to work that out. Some couples say, okay, well, you know, I, I, I kiss my sister. Fine. That was a certain kind of kiss, isn't it? You know? I might say, well, I put my mum's sister, I have hugs my sister. Cool, work it out before God. But that's the biblical criteria. So if you're a couple of Christians, they're going to date. Obviously, you've both got to be Christians, otherwise, you're both on different pages, you're moving in different directions anyway. You know, so you're both believers, and you say, right, here's what the Bible says. And then you say to them, how can I honour you? How can I make you feel contrition, treating you like a sister? Uh, and what, 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 would that, what would that look like? And you talk it through together. And then the lady says, how can I help you and make sure that I'm not you know, doing things that would kind of bring arousal? Because arousal is for marriage. Because arousal is the start of the sex act to be culminated. It's just... So for us, we decided we, would get, we'd, we wouldn't kiss till our, till our wedding day. That was how we decided. It was just a safer way to work. I had a couple of Christian girlfriends before Davina kissed, and it just became unhelpful, became kind of way too passionate. I thought, man, I'd, so I said, look, would it be okay? You know, I'm thinking, what's she going to say? She said, I've dreamed of that. I said, praise God. That wasn't easy. Um, there was, we, but I think, and on the day, there was like, what's it going to be like kissing? You know, you know, and I, was, and we sort of, I did the biggest hugs that no one would see, you know. <laughs> And there are convicting views on what happened, but my view is true. So just to let you know that if you ask the story. But that's how we, so for us, we just want, you know, we just thought, well, let's just, you know. You do want to be radical, don't you? You want to be pure. You've got to work it through. Without legalism, these are the rules. No, what's the biblical principle? Brotherly and sisterly love. See, what you're doing, then you're laying a foundation of friendship in the relationship as well, aren't you? Because the guy's default is to what? Snog. You've got nothing to talk about. Why? Because folks don't really talk unless they're sort of doing something, you know. And you go, what, what, yeah, what? <laughs> what you do now? You know, so it teaches you to, to develop a friendship with your, with your girlfriend, you know, fiancé, and learn how to talk well, you know? So, yeah, I mean, it's just principles, really, but it's all in the book. It's all in the book. Just kind of rate the book and don't go, oh, it says that, but part. No, that's really irreverent. It's in God's book. It's in God's book. Anything else? We're rolling now, so we've rolled. Okay, fine. <laughs> I thought we were rolling, but we've rolled. Okay, it's cool. Um, okay, well, I just want to finish by just a very quick personal testimony, just to say this. Um, I have an amazing wife who is beautiful, faithful. Uh, I mean, just amazing, right? Just amazing. And I would say that the struggle, though, with sexual impurity does not go away. Why? Because, here's why, because we live in a world that is under the sway of the evil one. And we live in an evil one who hates God. 
And he wants all, all, to do all he can to scupper the purposes of God. Now, obviously, you know, ultimately he can't do that. But he will throw all that he can at you. All that he can at you. In your mind, in your heart. And it, it is, uh, it, so it's not that it stops when you get married and you get a good marriage. It's not the case. And it's not a reflection of, oh, isn't your spouse enough? It's not, nothing to do with that. Here's what it is. We are bang in the middle of a battle. Okay? So the fact that things are coming in and flying in doesn't mean you're impure, adulterous, more. what it means is you're in the middle of a battle. Here's the issue. What do you do in that moment? Or in those moments, or in those days, or in those weeks, or in those seasons? What do you do? Do you give way under it? Or do you fight with all your God? Because that's what God's calling us to. Let's build something good, hey? Let's build something good. Deep foundation, substantial. Maybe we can build something amazing on. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we do love you. We thank you for the way that you help us through the Bible and the power of the Spirit. And Lord, we just pray that you would have mercy on us as a church and as individuals and as couples. Oh God, keep us. Keep us from adultery. Keep us from, deliver us from evil and from people that Satan sends, I pray. Keep us from temptations that are too much for us to bear. Keep us from putting ourselves in situations that are foolish and harmful. Help us all to put on our armour and fight the good fight together and strengthen one another. Be gracious and pray for one another. So that, Lord, we can really shine out in this dark age and really shine out in this area and shine something so beautiful to the area around us that many that come in and are redeemed and saved from the area would see something so different that they can, something just, they wouldn't even have dreamt of in their wildest dreams, Lord God, but there it is, it's the kingdom, and it's beautiful. So for our sake, for your glory, for this city, we pray, help and empower us. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Let's end with a song. Let's